Hello, and friends, and welcome to this week's edition of Sustainability Now with me, Justin Mogg. We're here on your community radio station, my friends. This is really a station for the people, by the people. I'm a volunteer. All of our programmers are. We'd love for you to get involved here at Forward Radio. Uh, we broadcast at 106.5 FM and live stream anywhere you are in the world, even if you're on the vacation. Well, maybe not in the Boundary Waters where there's no internet, but anywhere you are with an internet signal, you can tune in to us at forwardradio.org live or check our archive podcasts, and you can become a part of the station there, too. Click on Participate, pitch us a show, maybe a one-time access hour, or you want to become a weekly programmer. We would love to have you here on the station, and we also rely entirely on your contributions to stay on the air. This is all listener-supported, and it's amazingly affordable. This great community resource happens with volunteer power and $20 a day. So you could maybe be a, the sponsor for today's broadcast uh, by clicking donate at forwardradio.org. Well, what we do each week on Sustainability Now is bring in folks from around the community who are struggling and winning in so many ways uh, in the fight for sustainability. And I'm so excited to have so, be turning the microphones today, I guess, on a fellow uh, program producer. He's a podcaster. His name is Kyle Kramer. Welcome, Kyle, to the studio. Hey, Justin. Good to be here. It's great to have you in Ford Radio's tiny studio here. I've been in your uh, non-studio making podcasts together, too. Uh, and uh, Kyle is the executive director of the Earth and Spirit Center, which if folks uh, would like to learn more about, they can go online to earthandspiritcenter.org, all spelled out, right? Or just keep listening to this interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're going to talk all about it today. Uh, and then he's host of the Earth and Spirit podcast, which I guess I can't really call a new podcast anymore. You've been around a while. Two and a half years. Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. Two and a half Six, years. Almost 60 episodes now. Wow. And this is a podcast through Louisville Public Media, right? Yes. Yeah. Then picked up into the NPR podcast family. Whose idea was this thing? I have been dreaming about a podcast, uh, honestly, for <laughs> probably 20 some odd years. Oh I, I was a very early listener to Krista Tippett's show, uh, most recently called On Being, uh, originally oh, yeah. called Speaking of Faith. And just so appreciated her style and the space she created. Yeah. And um, that was even before, that was pre-iPhone days. Oh, uh, right, right. Way back in the but, day. <laughs> but once podcasting became a little more logistically accessible, we, we thought we'd give it a go. We got some grant funding and uh, found a sound engineer, got some equipment, and away we went. Yeah, I love the podcast. I got to say, it's wonderful. And you had me on it uh, a, a year ago now. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was just such a treat. I love these conversations because it's a nice long form conversation kind of like our my program is uh, but always with this with this focus of connecting uh, spirituality with the environmental concerns we have right that's kind of the theme of the program and the earth and spirit center in general right uh, yes, environmental concerns and social justice concerns. We, uh, as I hope we'll talk about, we kind of keep those tightly woven together in our mission. But yeah. we're, we we love to have interesting conversations at at those intersections. Yeah, and do you just interview local folks or folks from all over? Folks from all over, uh, predominantly local folks, because uh, I have a predominantly local network, yeah. uh, as <laughs> as do my other guests. And and I want to highlight all of the wonderful. 
people and and projects that 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 are here in the Louisville metro area, but uh, but we have we have interviewed Mary Evelyn Tucker and John Grimm from Yale. We've Mary uh, we've uh, interviewed Gary Nabhan out in oh, he's great, Arizona yeah. Yeah. and and you know uh, Kathleen Dean Moore, Scott Russell Sanders. So folks from all over at this point the country, hopefully at some point the globe. Uh, but uh, so yeah. we, we're we're strongly based in Louisville, I should say, but with yeah. with with our evil tentacles uh, out <laughs> out into the rest of the world as well. And people can find the podcast at lpm.org? Uh, that's one place. Uh, you can also go to the NPR One app. You can go to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, basically any podcatcher that, that you can get content on. We, we should be on there. We're, we're sent out to all those feeds. And are you at earthandspiritcenter.org as well? Does that get embedded there? Uh, yes. Yeah, that, cool. there's, a, there's a link on our homepage that gets you to our current episodes and our archives. And you talk to people from... All faith backgrounds and no faith background, right? Correct. We we do have a spiritual bent to the podcast, but uh, as as maybe we can talk about, we have a pretty broad understanding of what spirituality is and its purpose is. So. Um, uh, most of the folks that are on this podcast have some kind of spiritual practice or yeah. spiritual commitments that may or may not coincide with anything that resembles institutional religion. Right. <laughs> Which is one thing I love about it. I get exposed to all different ways of seeing the world and thinking about the world on your show. So thank you for that work. I, I've already d- dived way into the weeds of the earth and spirit. Before we get to that, though, I want to know more. I was going to say, we have the cart way before the well, horse Yeah, the here, cart's right? way before the horse upside down here. Tell us about who you are, Kyle, and how you came to this work. Oh, oh, me. Okay. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, hoping we could sidestep that question. Um, so me, uh, well, I guess I'd answer that, Justin, in, in two different ways. In terms of public hats, I think you've, you've hit most of the high points. I, I am the executive director of the Passionist Earth and Spirit Center, have been so for uh, eight or nine years now. Uh, I'm a podcast host, as you said. I'm, I'm also a writer. I'm a, a monthly columnist for a magazine with uh, Franciscan Media, St. Anthony Messenger. It's a Catholic publication. That's, that's my own religious oh. background. And uh, I'm an author. I've, I've written a couple books. The most recent one uh, came out last year. Uh, uh, I, I should plug it uh, as a smart author, author here, uh, <laughs> but I always forget the title. That's the problem. Uh, <laughs> especially somebody else made the title. Exactly, right? <laughs> they did. The dirty secret in the publishing world. Um, Making Room is the title, and the subtitle is the one I actually always forget. I think it is um, Soul Deep Satisfactions Through Simple Living. Um, okay, Ooh. so there's Franciscan Media. There's my plug. <laughs> but it, it is actually, a, a, if I don't say so myself, of course, it, it's a wonderful book insofar as it helped, helped me and I hope helps readers really reflect deeply on what it means to have the conviction that spirituality can be a means not only of living a more pleasurable, satisfying life, but also uh, a life that's gentler to the planet, that's yeah. more just and, and sustainable. So we could get into that. But but yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an executive director, a podcaster, and an author. And then in terms of personal, uh, you know, my personal hats, I'm a husband, I'm a father of three, uh, two of which are about to go off to college, twins. Oh my and, gosh, uh, this is their last summer. <laughs> yes. For, fortunately, they literally are going three blocks down the road from oh, okay. where I work to Bellarmine. So, uh, but, but still, you know, tectonic shifts in our family. Uh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a rock climber. I'm a gardener. I'm a former organic farmer. We had an organic farm for about 15 years, and we still live out on eight acres. Um, I'm a 
carpenter and a homesteader. We built our own house uh, previously. Wow. So so kind of a jack of all trades, not especially good at anything, but uh, but I do plenty of stuff. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then in terms of like how I. I, I suppose I should say how I came to the Earth and Spirit Center, because it's, it's kind of an interesting story. I guess that ends up being your whole life story. Like, right. How did you get to where you exactly. are? Exactly. Yeah. I lived my life up, in, <laughs> up until now. Stuff happened. Uh, yeah. I, I, have, I have always had an interest in contemplative spirituality. Uh, I mean, I have my own you know, institutional religious convictions that kind of follow along Roman Catholic lines, but, but I've had a you know, very broad-based understanding of what spirituality uh, is and, and that it can be located in you know, any number of places. Uh, I, was, I was a very early in my life a Wendell Berry fan. Yeah. I, I bet you've probably heard of Wendell Berry. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, he's a pretty yeah. good author, yeah. Yeah, he's a Kentucky <laughs> farmer, poet, essayist. And uh, Wendell, bless his heart, uh, kind of became a mentor to me through his writings and personally uh, to some degree. Uh, in formative years of my life, as did a couple other key figures. And so it kind of got me bitten by the back to the land yeah. bug and, and helped me uh, start reflecting on what it would mean to, to think about uh, and to live about uh, uh, environmental and ecological sustainability concerns through and with a spiritual lens. Mm. So I, I've always had, had an intersection of, or had an interest in, in that intersection between spiritual practice and, and living close to the land. And mm. um, that reified in, you know, for 15 years as life on a homestead with, with a day job running graduate theology programs, but a day job that, uh, much as I loved it and, and loved that community, made the other stuff kind of avocational. Uh, And so there was a a bit of a bifurcation between what I did for my nine to five and then what I did, as any organic farmer listening knows, as I did early mornings, late evenings, and weekends. (laughs) So my, you know, my 40-hour job uh, on the clock uh, augmented by a a 60-hour job (laughs) on the farm. Uh, But but when I when I got I had always known the Earth and Spirit Center's work for for many years and had some connection with it. But when this uh, position came open to to lead the organization, uh, many 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 things clicked for me, and and I realized that it was a chance to uh, to integrate several pieces of my life that had theretofore been been sub- somewhat separate, and and I think most importantly gave me a chance for my own environmental convictions. Uh, to become much more public, uh, public facing. I had always done that uh, as a writer. I've been a columnist for various magazines, but I felt like uh, on the farm, the work we were doing was, I mean, no work is isolated or insulated, no, of course, yeah. and maybe we'll get to that, but, but it, it felt very much like a personal project, whereas the, the work that I've, I've stepped into uh, and done for all these years at the Earth and Spirit Center is work that invites many, many, many more people into, into uh, you know, stewardship efforts and, and means to connect with the natural world beyond the scale that I could operate by just having one visitor after the next uh, uh, at our farm. Uh, so, um, so we were. We Seems were, like a natural step in a lot of ways. Yes, uh, a hard step. I, I am. I have a lot of unresolved grief about leaving leaving that mm, farm. I imagine. A, and yeah. mm-hmm. uh, been in therapy for quite some time about that, and you know, <laughs> plenty of other issues. But, but uh, yeah, the, the the opportunity to do this kind of work in a public facing setting where spirituality is integrated with social justice concerns is integrated with with ecological care and concern. Uh, it, it's it's a sweet spot vocationally, and I'm nice. just I'm just 
eternally grateful that such a job and such an organization that they exist and that, that I get to be part of them. <laughs> well, tell us more about the Earth and Spirit Center. I failed to put the word in front of it, passionist, which I think is a really interesting word. Would you share more about what the passionist Earth and Spirit Center does and what, what that mean, word means? I, I sure will. And, and just uh, uh, by way of disclaimer, I usually introduce the organization with its full name, Passionist yeah, yeah. Earth and Spirit Center, and then quickly revert to the shorthand <laughs> Earth and Spirit Center, as, as do most people. But um, but you're, you are right to point that out, that the Passionist uh, is a very important uh, part of, of our name and part of our, our history and heritage, insofar as we were founded in 2005 by a Passionist priest. And what that means is not a passionate priest. That would be a problem with, you know, Roman Catholic celibacy. Exactly. And Actually, yeah. that wouldn't be. You have plenty of passionate priests out there, uh, <laughs> passionate in other ways. But, um, but uh, the, the passionists are a Roman Catholic uh, or monastic order. Uh, so you may have heard of Benedictines or yeah. Dominicans, Franciscans. Yeah. So the passionists, a little less well known, hmm. but they were founded in Italy uh, a couple hundred years ago. And their, their, um, in the Catholic world, we call it a charism or a particular spiritual gift that's un somewhat unique to, to that that congregation or that, that okay, order. Okay. Their charism is a, a, a deep connection to the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Oh. And you may think that that's morbid and, and kind of you, you may think of people whipping themselves and yeah, yeah. Uh, wearing hair shirts and all that. But what it really ends up being is a, a deep commitment of solidarity to those who suffer today. Who, who are the kind of the, the suffering face of Jesus made real in, in the, the, the challenges of our world today. Uh, so um, the Passionists uh, founded this, this inter, interfaith, non-sectarian spirituality center back in 2005. Uh, Father Joe Mitchell was, was the founder and is still the president and lead teacher, and uh, founded this organization basically with a mission to help promote human flourishing. And I know that sounds big and abstract. Nice, simple little mission. Right, yeah, right, we can right. Knock that in, out like, if we can fix the weeks. entire world, then our, then our mission <laughs> will be, be complete. But uh, knowing that that's big and abstract, we, we have focused on three particular elements of that, uh, because we, in brief shorthand, we recognize that Human flourishing, first of all, it, it starts as an inside job. You, you, mm. can't, you can't flourish as an individual human being unless you have some semblance of, of inner peace, because if, you know, if you're conflicted, if you have all kinds of uh, emotional regulation challenges and whatever else, it's going to be hard to be happy. Yeah. And, and so we, we focus first on, on contemplative spiritual practices that can help individuals get centered, stay sane. Um, and we, we can talk about all the benefits of mindfulness and other t types of contemplative practice. But, but we think that any change you want to see in the world is going to have to start and be supported by individuals whose hearts and minds are changed for the better. So we begin there with spiritual practice at the individual level. Uh, but we know that individuals cannot, should not flourish or, or be happy, uh, cannot be happy uh, without being surrounded by and embedded in a, a flourishing community. Right. So right, then our right, right. the next concentric circle out is a concern for healthy communities, whether that's this the immediate community of, say, a family system or the broader communities of, say, a, a Louisville civic community or even, you know, a, a national 
belonging to a to a nation state or, or the the global human family. Yeah. So that that second circle varies in size, if you will, essentially to encompass the the whole globe, the whole human family. And I would say the human family in the context of time. Yeah. So humans future, humans past. Yeah. Um, wow. But it also, if if I were to talk then about the third concentric circle of flourishing, you can't have healthy, just human communities without a, a healthy natural context. Right, right. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> and to the point of, of your radio program, yeah, so we, yeah. we need to, um, we can't be healthy on a sick planet. Yeah. And, and as I'm sure you know, Justin, as I know from my own experience, you, you can't even be a healthy individual without some kind of healthy connection to, uh, uh, to the world, right. to, the, to the world of nature. And to the extent that that world is ailing, yeah. our communities will be ailing, our own personal happiness will be diminished as well. Mm-hmm. So, so those are our three missions, which is still a pretty darn broad uh, mission, but, but we have, uh, we have, we're a nonprofit uh, that teaches any number of courses and workshops on our 27-acre campus in the Highlands. We do anything from a basic mindfulness course to uh, building wetlands and uh, and running organic gardens and everything in between. We do a lot of racial justice and equity work wow. uh, in partnership with other with other organizations, black-led organizations. So um, lots there. I'm speaking today with Kyle Kramer, executive director of the Earth and Spirit Center and host of the Earth and Spirit podcast. I'm turning the microphones on him today. He had the opportunity to do the same thing for me a few uh, like a year ago. So it's great to be in conversation again with you, Kyle. Uh, you can learn more at earthandspiritcenter.org. Does the center work with people of all ages? It's like summer camp time. Is that a thing? Oh gosh, is it summer camp? That's one of <laughs> true confessions. That's one of the other reasons I said yes to this interview. Is like <laughs> gets me away from <laughs> second graders. Yeah, Just yeah, kidding, yeah. folks. I uh, I love uh, that our that our place is wonderfully overrun by kids in the summer. And it can't uh, just be you. You've got to have a bunch of staff. Oh, no, it's not at all me, really. Yeah, I, I yeah, just yeah. I just sign checks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but specifically to your question, uh, Justin, we, we, our programming spans the age, the age brackets of kindergarten on the, on the young end to octogenarians, nonagenarians <laughs> on, uh, <laughs> at the upper end. And uh, we, we do have a, a strong focus, an increasingly strong focus, actually, uh, on, on reaching youth through camp programs, through youth uh, day and overnight retreats. Oh, wow. and, uh, but what we're, what we're probably best known for at this point in the community uh, is as a, a place where you can go to learn the basic, to learn in community the, the basics or even the, the, the advanced elements of, of mindfulness meditation. Okay. We're, we're the largest provider of mindfulness meditation instruction, bricks and mortar, in the central U.S. Wow. Uh, so so we, are, we have trained thousands and thousands of students over the years wow. in how to become more sane and centered. And then as we do that, we also introduce them to these other elements of our mission because we, we see them hanging together. So this always astounds me, given what I remember about my brain as an underdeveloped youth, right? Uh, the, the idea of mindfulness. So my dad ended his career teaching at a Quaker high school, Sidwell Friends in D.C., and just the thought of trying to get a the whole school together for, for silent Quaker meeting, like, I remember high school. That's hard to imagine. How does it work with kids and mindfulness? Well, it works differently with kids than it would with grown-ups, yeah. but... Uh, and so you, your instruction has to be different. Your expectations for the outcomes have to be different <laughs> as well. But, Justin, I think that there's 
there's hardly a, a person alive of any age that that can't benefit in some way and is not kind of hardwired in some way for uh, practices that can help calm the busy mind yeah. and and we we can talk more about what you know what mindfulness is and what it entails <laughs> but i have seen i mean I, literally i just came from our campus where where we have kids uh learning how to become more self-aware uh by be for example becoming uh, more cognizant of their breathing as simple as that mm. uh, the the autonomic the one autonomic mm-hmm. uh, bodily system that we can also influence consciously um, right so so yes it is <laughs> I'm gonna work on my digestion right, now. <laughs> right. <laughs> or you can't really say digestion stop or heartbeat yeah. stop or speed oh, up geez. but you can say that to your breath and and uh, yeah. connect to your uh, to your deeper self and then way. connect immediately to the environment because yeah. we're all like you've said a million times already, we're also connected to each other and to the environment we depend on. And the the actual process of bringing in air into your lungs that others have just breathed, including other non-humans, right? That is so intimate. Yes. And it makes such an instant connection, I think, with the natural world and with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I there's some fun fact here. Of course, all the details I'll get wrong. But I think it has been the math has been done. The research has been has been able to verify that every time you breathe because of um, <laughs> you're basically taking in some small part of George Washington and Buddha and Jesus and, wow. you, know, you know, all of the the elements of of life on this planet. Wow. So it's uh, I think of all the Muhammad Ali air in our city. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're breathing in the greatest. Oh, that okay. That's a fun way to think about it. So when you're doing these things, like restoring a wetland or or working on gardening, do you still have bees there? Do we do not currently have bees? I've but been, I've public been service announcement: there, we would yeah. love to have yeah, bees. Okay, so yeah. if anyone has an interest, who's a beekeeper, come on down. So when you're doing these things at the Earth and Spirit Center, you're not just learning about the environmental components of it, but you're trying to do it in a, a mindfulness way? Is that the idea? Uh, yes. I think I would I would add one more thing. Uh, when we're trying, you, you framed it as when you're trying to learn about the environment. Uh, uh, yes, we do that. Yes, we provide educational programming that teaches you anything from you know, watershed health to, to uh, climate solutions, et cetera. Uh-huh. But that can all, all often be a head trip. That can be something that, that is, is just academic. You're just learning right. about. Right. What our primary focus is, even as we do that, we, we first of all want people to care mm. in an affective way. So we try to connect people at a heart level to a particular landscape, our, our landscape initially, but if, uh, any landscape, of course, we want to give them tools to do that because you, you, you won't save what you don't love. Right. And you, and you can't love what you don't know or encounter in an in a immediate, practical yeah. way. Yeah. So, yeah. so we try to introduce folks to caring about a particular uh, beech tree so that, by extension, they can care about all the trees in the Louisville canopy and uh-huh. all trees generally. Uh, so, so, so we have this approach of kind of heart-centered, uh, affective uh, encounter with huh. the natural world, learning to love the the natural world. And huh. I should be quick to say, the natural world is not just the world out there. The natural world is us within our skin line too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the second aspect of of our education, depending on the program, it looks different. But we want 
to love not just um, in, in in the way of affection, but also in the way of skilled care. Mm. So that so that it in our mind, while it is wonderful and noble to love this beech tree or this forest, it is it is that much better to love this beech tree or this forest and to to have some skills and a tool set to recognize the ways in which this landscape is challenged, the wow. ways in which it, it can and must be uh, remediated or, or rehabilitated. Wow. So we, we do a lot of practical hands-on stuff, whether that's organic gardening, as I mentioned, we have production greenhouses, we have a permaculture for food forest, we do we have two constructed wetlands that we monitor and and uh, and modify as needed as needed. So we're really trying to practice on these 27 acres the absolute best urban land stewardship that w that we can possibly model. That is awesome. And it, it's getting me thinking about so many things like some of the ways you've talked about relating to nature make me think of certain faiths like Buddhism mm -hmm. or Jane, the Jains, right, who won't wear masks so they don't accidentally breathe in and kill an insect, right? Like mm -hmm. I, when I learned about that in college, I was blown away. Yeah. The just level of concern and care. And I especially love how you're trying to make people see that caring for nature is also caring for ourselves is a, a practice of self-care. Yeah. And we have so many issues of abuse in our just modern day-to-day -day living that just mostly are hidden from us. Like mm -hmm. we don't see it. So maybe we would react differently if we all had to go to a slaughterhouse before we ate a meal, <laughs> but, or, or even just like abuse of farm workers in the fields or domestic abuse, sexual yeah. abuse, like all of the, but certainly the way we treat the land has also been very abusive. Right. And that all, we know that all of this abuse, it all comes back and harms us. Yeah. Right? And it I, all hurts the abuser as much as the abused. I agree. And even if we, like Justin, you and I as environmentalists, we probably know more of the details of a lot of that abuse than, than your average person. But I, I, I'm of the conviction that all of us know that on some level. Maybe not cognitively, but but we are we are so interconnected with the the joys and sorrows, the the right, right. happiness and suffering of this world, that I think on some level are deep in our DNA. We know that I think Thich Nhat Hanh says like when you eat a, an egg from a, 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 a factory farmed chicken, you're eating anger. Um, and right. on some level, we probably know that. At least our we know it in our bodies. Yeah. Yeah, this is wonderful. This is why I love talking to you because we instantly get there, right? These really important connections that it's so easy to talk about. Well, we've got to cut our greenhouse gas emissions, so we just got to start uh, electrifying vehicles, or we got to put in solar panels, or and you know all that stuff is true. But for me, like this is all about a better, healthier human experience in the world, a better way of living in the world with each other and with the land. And that's what it's all about. And, and, and that's why I think sustainability is so exciting because it points the way towards a more fulfilling life, right? Yeah. There's this wonderful phrase that we, we get a lot of mileage out of at the earth and spirit center. And it actually comes from, you know, from the, the Greek philosophical tradition from Aristotle and probably further back, but it's called eudaimonia. And it basically, I think, literally translates as good spirit. But it's this idea, uh, again, I think captured in our mission, of, of full flourishing, what it means to be a fully alive mm. human being 
and again, by implication, fully embedded in a thriving community and a healthy biosphere. So there's, I mean, there's, there's so much good to tap into in yeah. a vision like yeah. that, uh, as opposed to just, well, as opposed to doing two things. One, um, trying to fix environmental issues at scale in the abstract, yeah, right. uh, which uh, <laughs> very necessary work, but also very insufficient because only math geeks are, are <laughs> moved by, uh, motivated by spreadsheets yeah. that, that tabulate parts per million right, uh, right. Of, of carbon pollution. Uh, most of us, we, we fiercely protect, as I said earlier, that which we love. Right. Uh, right, so right. at the end of the day, I don't want to save the whales because I've read the statistics and I know how many or few whales there are. Uh, I, I want to save the whales because whether I've had a personal encounter with them on a on a sightseeing mm -hmm. trip or or even just read about whales in a magazine, I love them like I love yeah. my children. I don't yeah. I don't as I think Charles Eisenstein once made the case. You don't you don't take good care of your kids just because you're afraid of child protective services coming after you if you don't. <laughs> right, right. You, you, you take good care of your kids because you love them and oh, you're yeah. wired to love yeah. them. At least, yeah. Yeah, it's about rewiring our brains. And that, and that I'm so I really honor you for this work that you're doing. I wonder if you have a story of awakening to this. Like, have you encountered anybody through your work with the Earth and Spirit Center who you saw the that light come on in their eyes about how, oh, the way I've been living <laughs> is out of connection, and that's problematic. Mm. Okay. Um, this I'm going to answer your question, not exactly, like a politician, not exactly as, as you great, asked it. Great. I'm going to answer the question that I want to answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, more specifically, I think rather than telling someone else's story, okay. because I, I honestly, I could multiply those. Right. Um, but I also... Uh, encounter them. Well, first of all, I'm just not good at remembering stories like that. That's uh, okay. And secondly, I I often encounter them kind of once removed because I'm I'm as I said earlier, yeah. the one signing the checks right, and running the organization right, right, more right. so than doing They're the direct teaching. They're not in teaching. your office when that happens. Yeah, but but what I uh, the story that I'd like to share, Justin, um, it, it's actually it's kind of a a beautiful story that that I think gets at one of your points. Uh, so I, I was already in the choir, you know, one of the converted. But but on one of our programs, I I myself sat out uh, underneath uh, this one of these beautiful old elm trees uh, on the property, forty I think almost four feet through the trunk, that old. Oh wow! And like like most elm trees around here, succumbing to Dutch elm disease. This is a couple this is a couple years ago, and we we had a program in which which participants were invited to to go out on the land on our 27-acre nature sanctuary and and find some place where you could sit spot, which is this practice of of literally sitting in a spot <laughs> and, and paying attention yeah. and, and truly listening as opposed yeah. to just imposing your own agenda on, uh, on the landscape. And so I sat with my back against this magnificent old dying tree, and I... I should be quick to note here. I'm not the kind of person who hears the voices of trees in my head uh, as a general rule, but, but, uh, and I'm not sure I heard a voice even then, but what I heard was this beautiful, wise, I'll call it a voice. Maybe it was something different than that, that, uh, maybe, that understood that she was dying, Ooh. that understood that she had lived a long life and, and now was at the end of that life and had this tremendous uh, wisdom wow. and acceptance around the fact of, of this cycle of her life ending. 
Uh, and again, I said I, I went to that uh, exercise already converted on some level, but I think almost never before in my life had I been spoken to that powerfully. And then I'm going to fast forward this story because yeah. it's got a very interesting ending to it. And it's not actually an ending, uh, a very interesting next chapter. So that was a couple years ago. And, and I remember that what I heard from that tree was that, yes, this phase of my life is ending and some new phase will begin. And what I thought that meant at the time was like any tree that, that she would return through to the earth through compost and, and uh uh, uh, you know, rotting yeah. away slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but fast forward, and we are now undertaking a, a project we're calling Spiritscape. We're still in the kind of semi-quiet fundraising phase for it, but this is a this is a, a project in which we're going to build a nature discovery center out, out uh, on part of our property, similar to Bernheim's Placo system, and with with all natural elements. And so. In the meantime, the, these elms did die, these two elms, uh, one of which I, I was, uh, had made friends with. And, uh, and so we took them down very carefully with a tree company, and we ended up using the, the limbs and logs and everything that came yeah. from that dead tree as the, the raw materials for this spiritscape. So that, that wow. tree is now living on wow. in this new form. And I, literally, I just came from the campus where, where gaggles of wow. young kids were running uh, on, these, on these logs and sitting on these stumps, all that had come from this giving tree, wow. this elm tree that I'd encountered in that other way so, a couple years ago. Wow. A real quick story from my time in the Peace Corps in Paraguay, where I spoke the native language of Guarani. And exposing yourself to other cultures is another great way to get a different understanding and perspective on the world. You want to know the word for tree in Guarani? It's uvura. If you break that down, that's future soil. Ah. Uh, the indigenous people of Paraguay named their trees future soil. Hmm. Isn't that cool? Nice. My guest today here on Sustainability Now is Kyle Craver. He's executive director of Earth and Spirit Center. I love talking to him. Uh, always get new perspectives. And uh, just so you've, you've collected so many interesting insights in your work over the years. And I especially want to talk about your media projects. So you've been doing these interviews on your podcast. What kind of things are bubbling up, the surprises that you're learning through, through talking to all these people? <laughs> Well, I'm learning that it's a heck of a lot of work to put out a good podcast. Of course, yeah. uh, and it's easy to romanticize <laughs> Krista Tippett and her ilk, who have like a staff of dozens behind her. Uh, but Justin, you and I know all too well, yeah. uh, you more than me, actually, that uh, that uh, uh, it, it takes a village. And yeah. when you don't have a village, it, <laughs> you, you got to work extra hard. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, but so, you know, anything from the the recording logistics right, to editing right. and all that. But I think, first of all, I've learned there, it's getting harder and harder, Justin, for me to despair deeply about right. the state of the world because I have encountered so many incredible people. Yeah, through, me too. Okay. Through, <laughs> I'm having this, the same experience this with this podcast program. endeavor. And like you, I've got nine other hats I wear. Like yeah. you, I don't have time to do this. Yeah. And like you, I can't not do can't it. Can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so people in the because it gives me hope. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, people here locally, people beyond. Um, it, it's so cool to encounter so many folks. Uh, I think David Brooks calls them weavers, the the ones who are trying to weave this new yeah. social fabric, this new wow. ecological fabric. Um, and I'm learning also. People are hungry for good conversations, mm. whether it, that's the two people on the mics or three people on the mics, or the, the people listening, uh, I think 
here's me almost in every instance on a mic on whatever side of the mic i have some preachy soapbox <laughs> moment here it is folks uh i think culturally we're we're so used to shouting at and past each other right that we have in many cases or at least in many contexts lost the the ability to whatever degree we we once had it we've lost the ability to have a true conversation mm-hmm. that's not just a shouting match that's not just grandstanding if i'm right you have to be wrong yeah yeah because we ha- <laughs> we do we have often culturally we have this this um this uh kind of antagonistic yeah. elements and polar- polarizing approach built into our yeah. uh, the way we do things. And um, I-, I think that both the people I talk with on mic and the people who are listening to the program, they're showing by their downloads, by whatever else, that they are willing to you know, put up with an hour's worth of deep conversation. It doesn't have to be sound bites. People have the capacity to listen to we long do. form, yeah. deep conversations, uh, many of which may may be challenging to them. Um, and I think as part of that, I personally, as a podcast host, I am learning better how to listen. Yeah. It's, uh, what I what I have come to learn more and more is that listening itself. I think David Isay says this from uh, this I this I believe or, uh, but whatever the program David Isay does. But listening is an act of love. It is. And, and it I, absolutely is. Yeah, I, I I think early on in my podcasting, I I was too worried about watching the stopwatch sure. and making sure we got to the right questions and right. all of that kind of the logistics of a conversation. But but as I've gotten more comfortable in the for, in the format. I, I realized that, yes, I have to do my homework. I have to read the books. I have to think of good <laughs> questions. I, you know, I have to do my job. But, but, but my primary job listen. is, yeah, I have to create this safe space yeah. where, where my listening, my active, engaged listening yeah. creates, again, safety and, and spaciousness, freedom for a guest yeah. to really be their true selves and, and to connect in whatever way, on whatever level, with other true selves out there yeah. who, who are willing to, to listen and to hear. Well, good listening is certainly a skill that we need to develop. But once we have, like, I have guests often who come in, they're a little nervous, they've never done this before, that kind of thing. Nobody's ever leaving, like, feeling like they were put on the spot or... or well, kudos was, to you. It's too stressful, right? Like, people yeah. are almost always, when they turn the mics off, people are like, that was fun or that was great or... I didn't think it would be that easy or boy, the time went by quick. And all of that is because I am dedicated to listening to them. And that makes all the difference in the world. And people aren't used to that in their daily lives. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, and hopefully it's a transferable skill. Uh, although <laughs> I um, uh, have, let's just say, occasionally, uh, very rarely, had had a few arguments with my wife in, in which she, she says that I'm not listening well. And she brings oh, up yeah. the point, you're so good at doing this on the podcast. Why can't you do it <laughs> with me? On your show. Right. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> You're also now, you've branched out into doing uh, some film work as well. And tell us about the two documentary films that you've just produced in partnership with Bernheim. Absolutely. So we have, uh, f- for many years, uh, had funding from a wonderful foundation called Calliopeia in in California. And uh, do look them up, Calliopeia Foundation. And uh, with, with their assistance, we we kind of leaned into our longstanding collaborative partnership with Bernheim Arboretum and Research Forest, just south of Louisville. Uh, we've, we've worked with them on a number of different projects. But uh, last fall, 
uh, Bernheim and we got together and uh, decided to make two films. One focused on climate change, it's called Grounded, and another focused on watershed health. We're calling that Reflections on Water. So you can find both of those films, Grounded and Reflections on Water, on the Earth and Spirit YouTube channel. Little Googling will get you there. But we, we ended up going out to Bernheim and uh, doing the filming for these at the Spirit Nest, which is this... Which is so cool. Yes, yeah. it's this amazing <laughs> hand-built structure of, I think, eucalyptus or, or some other wood from the California artists' uh, stomping grounds. And, and we, we talked with activists about what they are doing, how they are engaging these issues around climate and watershed. And then we wove it together with some great sound design and uh, turned these these interviews into uh, about 40, 35, 40 minute films uh, on on these issues of climate and, and watershed health. And so much fun to do. Again, to the to the earlier point of podcast guests, just amazingly inspiring to see these folks of all ages. I think our youngest guest was about five years old. Wow, uh, there with her grandma. Yeah, and, that's a fun interview. Right, and then uh, and then uh, older folks as well, and everyone in the middle. And uh, again, just hard not to have hope after right. going through right. an experience like that. When Even, I think about climate change documentary, I don't usually think about <laughs> coming away from that feeling good, but these films get there. I hope they do, because one of the important things for us was to look at these challenges slash opportunities through the lens of spiritual practice. And I hope yeah. I hope we'll take a, a few minutes to talk about how spiritual practice intersects with some of some of the work on climate or environment more more generally. But but that film, I, I think, really was able to bring some of that forward in a meaningful way. And again, give, offer some hope when when hope may at least in some quarters, be in short supply these days. Yeah. And these are free and available to the public, so you could screen these in your faith community or your school, right? Yep. You can uh, view once, view often, share <laughs> share freely. Uh, we would we would love to do that. We're planning some film screenings uh, oh, at, really? with Bernheim and and at our own campus in the fall. So these will will hopefully continue to get some some good miles put on them. Fantastic! Check it out at, at YouTube at the Earth and Spirit channel. Well, we only have five minutes left, Kyle. It's flown by, <laughs> of course. So let's get to that. What you wanted to get to the connections between spiritual work and environmental work. I mean, we have been touching on this for sure. Um, I don't think a lot of environmentalists are, are approaching the world in a contemplative way, though. And why does that matter? Um, I think it matters both in terms of effectiveness and skillfulness in doing the work, and it matters in terms of sustainability, in terms of personal sustainability mm -hmm. to, to keep at the work. Uh, I, I go back, Justin, to the root word of religion. I'm just going to conflate religion and spirituality here for a moment. Uh, it, it, the, the Latin roots of, of religion are related to the words ligament. So it's like re religion is to re-ligament, to reconnect <laughs> yourself to some uh, to really important truths and to what is really real. And to my mind, spiritual practice gets you to two core insights. One is that we are not the center of the universe. Right, we are not right. fundamentally in control of much. Uh -huh. And the second is we are not separate from the universe. Mm. We are not mm. alone. Mm. Uh, we are connected to this much larger whole mm. in, in profound and you know, in very mm. mysterious ways. And, and that that's a good thing. 
we don't have to be in control. We don't have to be in this, the center of things yeah. because we're held in this web that is geared toward supporting life, that is geared toward uh, mm. promoting diversity and, and flourishing. Mm. And, and so to answer your question specifically in, what, three mm. minutes that we have left here, uh, first of all, I just, I'm going to use mindfulness as an example of, of a contemplative practice because it's one that people are probably familiar with. If I were to give a, a rough and ready definition of mindfulness, it was it's showing up to your present moment experience with curiosity and kindness rather than judgment, mm. and then choosing your behavior. So I want to unpack that a little bit. Um, mm. I think, first of all, contemplative practice changes how you see. Mm. It blurs the line between your well-being, as we talked about earlier, the well-being yeah. of other people you know, in community, the well-being of, of the earth itself and in, in all of its manifold creatureliness. Uh, because when you, when you start to, the basics of contemplative practice are sitting down or standing up, whatever, and, and observing your own thoughts and emotions as they kind of yeah. come on the screen of your consciousness. And what happens in that practice is you stop identifying so much with all of these things, right. stop ruminating so much on them, you, you allow them to pass through and therefore realize that they are not you, yeah. that all these yeah. things you're so upset about are not you. And as you start to see yourself as, as the observer of these things, uh, you start to realize the degree of, of your inner connection. And so essentially, you stop judging so much, both everything that's happening internally and everyone else, sure. and instead you just get curious and, and fully present to this. So uh, I, I think that, you know, the first piece of, of contemplative practice is, is changing the eyes through which you look yeah. so that you can show up with, with curiosity rather than judgment, anger, et cetera, identifying with, with all the things that you think make you you. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, I think I just mentioned the second point is you do show up differently. Yeah. When, when your perspective is changed through a contemplative practice that kind of decenters your ego, right. you, you then are able to recognize how much fog most of us have on our windshields <laughs> and, <laughs> and have that not always get in the way. You know, Viktor Frankl has this famous quote about between stimulus and response, uh, there's a space, and in that space is, is your freedom to choose. I, I may not have that quote exactly right. Wow. But, but what mindfulness allows you to do is essentially to create this spaciousness with inside yourself. So you're not just reacting to everything out there, but you're actually responding you're choosing your behavior, behavior in a mindful way so that you can more easily choose kindness. Oh, wow. You can choose compa uh, compassion. And you can do the work of environmentalism more skillfully and more sustainably uh, because you're not as strongly fueled by your anger, your guilt, your shame, your mm -hmm. fear, mm -hmm. all of these things that often motivate us to, to mm -hmm. do environmental stuff, but they're ultimately tearing us up as well. Mm -hmm. and, and mindfulness enables you to, to kind of move through those, not to like deny them, but, right. but to allow them to pass through. And so you, you can feel deep grief uh, in, in a mm -hmm. contemplative uh, state, deep grief for the state of the world. Joanna mm -hmm. Macy does that in her work that reconnects, but then you can also not be stuck there. Yeah. And so therefore you can, you can choose the next best thing to do and the next best thing mm -hmm. uh, and, and do that skillfully. It's uh, far easier to process these big emotions through, through a, a contemplative practice and then, and then to do the right thing. Fantastic. I wish, 
I had another hour with you. Maybe we'll get you back someday, but that's all the time we have for today. Kyle Kramer, it has been such a delight again to speak with you. Thanks oh, for taking the time. The pleasure's mine, Justin. Great, great to do this with you. Thank you. Kyle's executive director of the Earth and Spirit Center and host of the Earth and Spirit podcast. Learn more at earthandspiritcenter.org. All right, stay tuned, my friends. Coming up in just a second, I've got your community action calendar with all kinds of ideas about how you can get engaged passionately and mindfully in sustainability this week. So stay tuned, my friends. Flow like a river to the sea Knowing it's all in you and me Our whole world seems in harmony When we flow like a river to the sea And we are back here on Sustainability Now. Hope you've got your calendars out and your pencils sharpened and you're ready to take action for sustainability this very week. Let's take a look at what's on the calendar for this week here in Louisville. On Tuesday, July 26th or Thursday, July 28th, Louisville Grows is seeking some volunteers to help out in their greenhouse from 9 a.m. to noon. This is at the Healthy House Greenhouse located at 1641 Portland Avenue. Louisville Grows needs help once again with greenhouse maintenance before we can get started growing seeds and potting starts for our fall seeds and starts sale days. No experience is required. Plus, maintenance volunteers will get a discount coupon for use at the fall sale. Volunteer tasks include pulling weeds, watering trees and bushes, and organizing pots of soil. Bring tools like garden trowels and hand rakes if you have them, as it'll make weeding easier. And please dress for the heat with summer clothing you don't mind getting dirty. You can sign up for one of the volunteer slots, which are rain or shine, and find the link at louisvillegrows.org. Or if you have any questions, feel free to email volunteer at louisvillegrows.org. And again, that's Tuesday the 26th or Thursday the 28th from 9 a.m. to noon at the Healthy House Greenhouse. Also on Tuesday the 26th in the evening at 6 p.m., it's the in-person Greater Louisville Sierra Club Annual Summer Picnic with Dr. Monica Unseld, Director of Until Justice Data Partners, live at the Louisville Nature Center. Join Forward Radio's proud community partner, the Greater Louisville Sierra Club, as we gather for our first in-person meeting in over two years. We will resume our potluck picnic tradition at the Louisville Nature Center's 3745 Illinois Avenue across from the Louisville Zoo. Meet up in person with old friends and a new new ones. Enjoy the trails at the Nature Center and savor some good home cooking prepared by Sierra Club members and Mama's Barbecue. There'll be a presentation by their special guest, Dr. Monica Unseld, that'll begin around 645. Seating is limited, so please register online at sierraclub.org slash Kentucky, or you can email them at greaterlouisvillesierraclub at gmail.com. The Sierra Club will be providing main dishes, both omnivore and vegetarian, as well as beverages, so please bring some food of your own choosing to share. 
Also, we ask that you bring reusable eating and dining wear. Masks will be required indoors except when eating or drinking. Dr. Unseld, executive director and founder of Until Justice Data Partners, will be speaking about the importance of centering the most disproportionately impacted communities in our justice work. She will discuss the effectiveness of the Jemez principles for democratic organizing and how the Louisville Charter for Safer Chemicals can be a useful tool in deciding if environmental and chemical policies are just and equitable. Monica received her doctorate in biology in 2008 from U of L. In 2018, she obtained her master's in public health from Benedictine University. She's been an environmental and social justice advocate for over a decade and has worked with local and national organizations on incorporating data into their justice work. Again, you can learn more and register for Tuesday evening's annual summer picnic at the Louisville Nature Center by going to sierraclub.org slash Kentucky. Also on Tuesday the 26th at 6 p.m., you're going to have to pick one. The Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods is having a networking night from 6 to 7.30 at the West Louisville YMCA, 1720 West Broadway. The Office of Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods would like to invite you to be part of the One Love Louisville Ambassador Program's networking night. This is an opportunity for citizens to come out and learn about as well as contribute to Louisville's comprehensive violence prevention plan. It's also an opportunity to network with both uh, Office of for Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods partners and one another. Networking nights are an opportunity to get to know the change agents doing the work in the Louisville area. Each networking night, the office will be joined by a community partner to act as a sponsor organization, and their July 26 presenters include the Salvation Army, Hip Hop Into Learning, and Restorative Justice. Food and refreshments will be served, and registration is required via eventbrite.com. You can just search for Office for Safe and Healthy Neighborhoods at eventbrite.com to come on out this Tuesday the 26th at 6 p.m. at the West Louisville YMCA. Now, the Metro Office of Advanced Planning and Sustainability and Planning and Design Services will be hosting two upcoming in-person visioning sessions this week for the new form districts. Please join us and share your vision for the future of Louisville's built environment in these forms. Meeting information is as follows. So on Tuesday the 26th, there'll be a focus on the Urban Center neighborhood from 6 to 7.30 at the main library right across from us here at Ford Radio, 301 York Street, in the community room 202. That's Tuesday at 6 p.m. in main library community room 202. The second visioning session on conservation districts will be on Wednesday, the 27th, from 6 to 7.30, out at the Geens Foundation Lodge, way the heck out at 1421 Beckley Creek Parkway. You can learn more and watch a recording of the introductory meeting that was held June 28th at louisvillekygovernor slash newforms. And for more on the Land Development Code Reform, go to louisvillekygovernor slash reform. Now, also this week, there are some volunteer opportunities with Trees Louisville, and you can learn more about them at treeslouisville.org. On Wednesday the 27th, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., they need about three volunteers to help prune about 50 trees out of the Family Health Center in Portland. And then on Thursday the 28th at 9 a.m., they need about four volunteers to help with pruning of 72 trees out at Tully Elementary School. 
And they also want you to remind you that the MSD Urban Ref Reforestation Grant is now accepting applications through August 1st. Anyone looking to complete a tree planting project in their neighborhood or a large piece of property or business may want to consider applying. You can learn more at louisvillemsd.org slash trees. And coming up this weekend on Saturday, July 30th at noon to 6, it's the annual Buy Local Fair out at the Water Tower at River Road and Zorn with free admission. But if you drive there, you will be penalized. There is a fee to park, $6 in advance, $8 at the gate. So ride your bike for totally free, hassle-free admission on Saturday from noon to 6. The Louisville Independent Business Alliance's annual Buy Local Fair features all local businesses, including food and drink vendors, artists and craftspeople, farmers, and more. Check out the Water Tower as it undergoes a historic renovation. In addition to local booze, you can enjoy your meal from one of our local eateries in the shade of the Four Pigs Smokehouse and Bar Dining Tent. And then at 2 p.m., Rainbow Blossom will be doing a cooking competition, and you can watch Chef Jeff Daly of Proof take on Chef Henry Wesley of 8UP using all local ingredients. There'll be family fun at the Carmichael's Bookstore Kids Fun Zone. Millionaire is hosting shopping events around town for black-owned businesses, and they're excited to have their own Millionaire Market at the Buy Local Fair. There'll be a silent auction taking place online starting Thursday the 28th at noon and running through for a week uh, through Thursday the 4th at 8 p.m. Tark will be there, and you can check out one of their electric buses and practice loading your bicycle onto the front of the bus so you aren't intimidated about doing it in traffic. DJ Kim Soris will keep the music fun and energy high, and you can test your skills with the Derby City Curling Club. There'll be recycling and composting available. All the details are at keeplouisvilleweird.com, and we hope to see you out at the Buy Local Fair on Saturday the 30th from noon to 6 at the Water Tower down on River Road. And lastly, I want to let you know that Saturday, July 30th, from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., the Louisville Nature Center is celebrating National Moth Week. There'll be This will be celebrating the beauty, life cycles, and habitats of moths, which are among the most diverse and successful organisms on Earth. Luke will set up a light and tarp to attract these nocturnal critters, become part of this citizen science project to learn how to observe, identify, and document moths in the Beargrass Creek State Nature Preserve. You can register for this event, which is free for members, at louisvillenaturecenter.org. And again, it's Saturday at 9 p.m. And that's all the time we have for today here on Sustainability Now. Thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to being back in your ears again in one week's time, my friends. Be well. Mm-hmm.